In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It was the summer of 2012, and we were still meeting in the Hampton Inn's banquet room, but it, it was getting full. It was getting so that we didn't have enough space. And so I again started to think about where could we go besides this banquet room. I looked up in the newspaper and other places and, and called some landlords, and none of them really called me back except for one. And I went and I saw one of these properties that this landlord had, and it wasn't right. It wasn't the, the right place for us. And so I kept looking, but the next day something strange happened. That same landlord that had called me back called me again a second time. And he said, I had just acquired a new property. Uh, would you meet me there to look at it? So he said, meet me at 175 Cassia Way, Suite A111. That's the suite next door. The door that we go in here that goes down that, that hallway back to the children's room, that was just an open warehouse space. And so I brought my measuring stick with me and I measured out uh, that back warehouse and I found that it was smaller than what we had at the Hampton Inn. So I said, that's just not going to do for us. The next day, he called me a third time. This time he said, meet me again at 175 Cassia Way, but meet me at suite A112, which is this suite here, with that door back there. So we walked in that back door, and there was no door in the wall here, and uh, the ductwork was all silver, and you could see all the way up to the ceiling, and you first, when you walked in, you noticed all this ductwork. And then you notice the big warehouse door in the back because this wall wasn't here and the walls weren't painted and the floor was all concrete and dirty and we said, this isn't a good place to have church. This just looks like a big warehouse and we can't stare at this warehouse door and uh, it wouldn't give us any room. There's only one bathroom. And so the landlord says, well, here's what I want to do. I want to put a door between the two suites so that you can use the bathrooms and the meeting rooms next door. And we said, I don't know how that'll look, a door in the wall. That, that doesn't sound very good. And then we said, what about the warehouse door? And he says, I'll build a wall going across so you don't see the warehouse door. There'll just be this little door here. And we said, I don't know if that'll work. That doesn't sound very good. And we said, but this floor is dirty. He says, we'll put some inexpensive carpet down. It'll be great. And we'll paint the ceiling black and you won't even notice all the ductwork. We said that I don't think will work. And he says all the nice restaurants in town are doing that now where they paint the ceilings. You won't even notice. We'll paint it whatever color you want up to a certain point and then you won't even notice that there's all this ductwork up there. And we said I don't think that'll be true. We didn't have the imagination that we needed to get the good things. It took some convincing on part of the landlord to show us to get us to imagine the good things that God had for us. And we die from a lack of vision. We die from a lack of imagination. We die from not being able to see the good things that God has for us. This is what happens to the nation of Israel in the time of Isaiah the prophet. You'll remember that they had been led into the promised land by the prophet Moses and Joshua takes over from Moses and they're led for a couple of hundred years by what they called judges. These were people that uh, had the Lord's Spirit upon them and they guided and governed the people and they lived under these judges for several hundred years until the people said, we don't like having a judge, we want to have a king like everybody else does. 
And the Lord said, I don't think you'll like having a king like everybody else does. And they said, no, but we want one anyways. And so he gave them a king by the name of Saul. And Saul suffered from the same problem. He could not see the people of Israel the way that the Lord did. He did not have that imagination and that vision. And he ruled them incorrectly. And so he lost his throne to a king who did have the vision of God. King David, who writes the Psalms and who can see the, the vision of the Lord and the promise. And when he's anointed as king, he knows the things that the Lord has for him to do. So that when he's standing in front of a giant, King David says, no problem. Everybody else is cowering in fear. And David says, the Lord can take care of this. After King David comes his son, King Solomon, and then King Rehoboam, and Rehoboam is a fool, and he loses the kingdom. It divides in half. They have a civil war. The northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah, and they have a civil war, and they're separated, and they're weak now after the civil war. They're in a weak place where they can't defend themselves from enemies, and one of the big enemies in the north is the king of Assyria. The Assyrians, near present-day Syria, had been uh, growing in strength and power, and they kept coming down into the northern kingdom of Israel and, and having uh, border skirmishes and wars with them, until finally, in the time of the prophet Isaiah, they take the northern kingdom of Israel. The Lord, because they hadn't been following his commandments, they hadn't been loving one another and living under the law, uh, lifted his hand of protection. And he allowed the Assyrians to come into that northern kingdom. And Isaiah says, wake up! What happened to Israel is going to happen to Judah. If we don't follow the Lord's commandments, if we don't live according to his law, we're going to suffer the same thing. And in chapter 45 of Isaiah, he tells them exactly who it is that's going to conquer them. He names the king of Persia, Cyrus, at the beginning of this chapter. And he starts out by telling them about Cyrus and what he's going to do. And then he has this transformation. He starts by talking about Cyrus. And as the chapter goes on, he starts to talk about the Christ and the Messiah. And his promise is that though you will suffer under the Persians, I will save you, the Lord says. I will bring you out by my strong right hand and teach you how to live in righteousness. See, the Lord isn't promising us military victory. He isn't promising us a, a, a political victory. He isn't promising us a, a financial victory. He's promising us a victory uh, through faith and righteousness. And the people said, who wants that? How could living our lives according to God's law protect us from all of these enemies? They had no vision. They had no imagination. They couldn't see how living righteous lives were going to make them strong in the Lord. And so because they couldn't see it, they eventually fell. But Christ 800 years later shows us again how it is that we're supposed to live in God's kingdom. He preaches about the kingdom of God. And he over and over again, he says, this kingdom is not a kingdom on earth. It doesn't have geographic boundaries. It doesn't have gates and fences. It doesn't have a coin. It has love. And at its center, God the Father is our king. And if we live according to the king's commandments, if we live in love, then we live in his kingdom. And so he gives us this promise that had been given to the ancient people of old to abide in the kingdom of God. And he says abiding in God means keeping his commandments. He shows us that figure eight we've talked about before. And he says, 
I abide in the Father because I keep his commandments, because I have done what the Father told me to do. He says, the Father abides in the Son, and the Son abides in the believer. And he says, if you do what the Lord tells you to do, you will live in me. So he says, the believer will abide in the Son as the Son abides in the Father. So he says, we do this by keeping the commandments. When we keep the commandments, we abide in the love of God. When he says this, we should immediately be thinking about the great commandment, which is to love God and our neighbor, but we should also be thinking about the Ten Commandments. How is it that keeping the Ten Commandments gets us to love God? How, how does that work, or how does love help us keep the commandments? See, so often we think, oh, I'm not supposed to covet. I'm not supposed to want the things that my neighbor has. So I'm going to say, don't covet, don't covet, don't covet, right? That's like saying, don't think of bananas. Don't think of bananas. Quit thinking about bananas. Don't think about bananas anymore. What are you thinking about? Bananas. Right? Rather, the Lord says to not covet what our neighbor has. If I see a, a, a friend with a nice truck, if I'm not going to want his truck, I have to love him so much that I'm glad that he has something nice. I have to be praying so much that when I see my friend that gets good things, I say, I'm so grateful, Lord, that he has this new truck. I'm so grateful that he has a new house. I'm praying that he has a wonderful wife and family and children. I'm praying that he has a good job. See, I'm, I'm loving my friend and I'm desiring good things for him. And when I'm spending all of my time and energy imagining, visioning the good things that God has planned for my brother, and I'm hoping and yearning for the good things for him, the idea that I would want those good things that I had been praying for for him would be ridiculous. I've been putting all of my energy into wanting good things for him. Why would I want to take them for myself? I've been hungering for those things for him. The same thing for his life. I'm praying for his health. How could I take his life? The same thing for my mother and my father. I've been wanting them to have respect. I've been wanting them to have honor. I've been wanting them to be treated well. And when we want our parents to be treated well, when we want good things for them, then we can only but honor them. Sometimes we forget about the importance of not using the Lord's name in vain, and that's very related to honoring our father and our mother. Think about what it would be like if you were on the street and somebody used your mother's first name as a swear word. If they said her name out of anger as a swear word. Can you imagine how upset you'd be at hearing that? How awful that would be? That's the way we're supposed to feel when we hear people using the Lord's name in vain. Because our love for him is so great to hear his name used as a swear word should be awful to our ears. But it's only awful if we love him. If we want the things of God. And so if we're loving God, then we want to keep his commandments and we live in him. We abide in him. And we're able then, because of our love for God and our neighbor, to lay down our life. Because we're not spending all of our time trying to find safety in things for ourselves. We're constantly thinking about the good of those that we love. 
St. John clarifies all this for us again in his beautiful uh, letter that he writes in chapter 4. He teaches us that uh, when we love God, we love our neighbor. And he says that when we have that perfect love, it casts out fear. And he says we have confidence. We have confidence. See, this is what King David had. King David, he goes out into the battlefield and all the great men of Israel are cowering in fear at the sight of Goliath. And David, though he's a small, young man, he's able to have confidence in God because he's seen what God has shown him. He's prayed and he has a vision of what God is doing and he's confident in imagining the things of God. His understanding has surpassed all wisdom so that he goes and he says, I know who God is, I know what his plan is, and it's not for this giant to win. It's for God to fulfill His purpose. And so He has all of the confidence, He has all of the courage, He has all the strength that He needs to go and defeat that giant. See, we have in the back of our minds here, in the back of our brains, we have this part of the brain that's devoted to fight or flight, right? This is what people do. When they're afraid, they either want to run or they want to fight. We're either afraid or we're angry. And what the Spirit of God does, what His vision does, what His understanding and wisdom does, is shows us God's plan with such confidence that when danger comes, we're not afraid, and we're not angry, and we're not surprised either. Because we're not naive. We don't say, oh, there's danger in the world. We're not surprised by that. We're not surprised that there's Philistines and giants in the world. We say we understand the danger that has come. And we're ready to face that danger without anger and without fear, but with confidence. Confidence in God and in His vision for our lives. The only way that we can see the things of God and His imagination is through practice. That's why we spend so much time talking about and practicing morning and evening prayer. Because we have to practice seeing the world the way God sees it. We have to practice seeing ourselves the way God sees us. We have to practice prayer. This is why we have these cards that we've been printing out. So that we can practice at asking the Lord, what is your plan for Jesus the Good Shepherd? How is Jesus the Good Shepherd supposed to be acting? What are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be living in God's love? And so we pray, we wait, and we ask the Lord for His vision of our church and our life together. This is why we're entering into this intense time of prayer. Why we have these brochures and we have these these categories how lord am i supposed to pray for my brothers and sisters how am i supposed to pray for myself how am i supposed to pray for the church we're supposed to be waiting upon the lord so that we have his vision and his understanding so that we have his love and we're able to follow his commandments with confidence with confidence so that no matter what the world brings no matter what happens in our lives, we are steadfast in the love of God. We're steadfast in His vision and in His truth. And the love that God has for us passes all understanding. And we are able to live in love and righteousness, abiding in the Father this day and forevermore.